Welcome to the Attachment Nerdcast, the podcast that takes you on a journey into the science and art of parenting. We're here to explore thought-provoking ideas, heartwarming stories, and researched fact strategy to help you deepen the bonds with the people who matter most in your life. In this episode, we'll delve into calming yourself when a loved one is upset, exploring the parent-child dynamic of co-regulation and debunking some misconceptions about calmness. So how do you calm yourself down when someone you love is upset, especially if that person is a child? I'm going to focus on that parent-child dynamic of co-regulation But everything I'm talking about applies with anyone that you care about. It could be, you know, a good friend who's really going through trauma and struggling or your partner. Anyone you have an attachment or a close bond with who is struggling, this is what you're going to work on. I wanted to find the word calm to start because I think we have a lot of misconceptions about calm. Calm often gets confused with numb or the absence of emotion. So calm is a state of emotion. A calm person is in in their body. They are feeling their body, but they are feeling regulated in their body. A couple of words that I would use to describe calm would be regulated, grounded, steady, open, connected. So a calm state is not the absence of emotion. And that's really important because I think generally as as a human species, we tend towards these places of extreme and understanding some of the stuff and calm is often misconstrued by uh, authority figures who are dysregulated by your emotion, wanting you to not have emotion. And so a, having like an approval response when you are free of emotion, as opposed to when you feel regulated and what you feel. The first thing I want you all to think about, I want you to take a little bit, some notes on this. So I'm gonna ask you a few questions and this is just for your own reflection as you're kind of working through what it is that you struggle with in particular when someone is in the room with big feelings. What is it you believe about emotions? So let's start there. We have five basic emotions. You have sorrow, which is about loss. You have anger, which is about violation. You have fear, which is about danger. You have joy, which is about fulfillment. And then you have shame, which is about worthiness. Okay. And All of us have different complex beliefs around each individual emotion. Now, obviously, within all of those emotions, there's a whole spectrum. So if I look at fear in particular, there's, you know, feeling absolutely terrified. And then there's feeling like uneasy or a little uncomfortable, right? So it's not that there's five emotions. There's a trillion different variants on those things. But we use that to kind of help our brain understand what's the purpose of each one. So what were you taught? Were you taught that it's okay to be sad? But it's only okay to be sad if it's a very big deal. Like you aren't allowed to be sad that, you know, you didn't get a good grade on the test because that was your fault. Or you are only allowed to be sad when someone dies, not when someone, you know, breaks up with you. Because you know what? Move on. There's more people in the world, right? Was, Was there dismissiveness around sorrow, around sadness? Was anger viewed as something that is dangerous? A lot of people link anger with violence when actually violence is about a mindset and anger is a body state. And yes, we can be in an angry body state and have a violent mindset. And so those two things can feel linked, but they're actually not linked. Anger is a natural emotion that's coming up in our bodies when we feel violated in relationship in some way, shape, or form. So what were you taught about emotions? Is it your job to keep them under wrap? Um, Did you have caregivers or communities that overreacted to your emotions? So 
when you were feeling something, the people around you that were supposed to co-regulate with you actually went into crisis themselves. So their reaction made you feel overstimulated and then maybe you also dysregulated or maybe you shut down. And social responses to emotions. So when someone is upset, what are you supposed to do? Um, my my sweet husband, he knows he's like fodder for content with me anywhere in the world. But uh, he grew up in a home that was really uncomfortable with big, strong emotion. And so whenever, you know, in our lives, someone we cared about was going through and talking with something emotional with me, which obviously you all can understand happens a lot in my life. If someone comes over and they're interacting with me, it's about five minutes before I know what's really going on in their world. And early on in my relationship with him, he would get so uncomfortable. We'd be like at a dinner with dear friends and someone would be sharing about a health problem or a loss or a trauma they were processing. And he would sort of like get all awkward and then he would leave the table. He would like literally like go to the bathroom. And when we started unpacking it. I was like, what, what is that about? And it was this deep idea that it was kind to like allow people to feel their emotions separate from you, right? Like that it was that like your emotions are a burden to somebody else, right? And he didn't want anyone to feel like a burden to him. So his in his mind, the better thing to do was like kind of just leave because he figured they wanted to talk to me anyway and not to him, which now it's totally shifted. Now he sits at the table and he holds the feelings with him and he bears witness and he understands that like the meaning of emotions is an opportunity to connect and process. So you're going to have to maybe do a little more work after this workshop to go, what do I believe? about feelings and social responses to feelings and how do those beliefs either help or hinder my process of being calm and available when other people are in their feelings Two, how is your nervous system primed to respond when another person is upset so there's two basic categories that i'm going to break this into today which is temperament and trauma so you're young, let's say, and let's say that every time you had feelings, someone in your family got angry at you or shamed you or pushed you away. Well, your nervous system is now wired to fear feelings because feelings have a correlation with rejection, with isolation, with confusion. So that's a trauma response. So someone else is now feeling feelings in your presence and feeling calm is challenging because feelings feel scary. I feel like the beginning of something bad happening because in your early development, that was true. What has been your experience in your body around emotions? Were emotions out of control in some way, shape or form? You know, were you in settings? Maybe you were, maybe you grew up in a situation, maybe you were in a country that was war-torn and there's a response to you know, emotions that, you know, you cannot have them right now. We're in survival mode. So, you know, anytime someone cries, they, a kid cries, they get smacked up against the head because, you know, please don't wake up the, you know, Gestapo, for lack of a better metaphor. Uh, <clears throat> what has happened in your story that has primed your nervous system? Now, this can be positive too. So your nervous system might be primed for calm. You might have had a really soothing parent who was able to respond to you with empathy and support when you were emotional. So when you're in a room with someone who's emotional, you don't feel scared. You feel calm and you have a real instinct of how to respond. So there are positive primes and negative primes in terms of, you know, is it a did you have traumatic primes or did you have positive primes that helped your nervous system feel regulated in the context of emotions? 
Um, and then temperament is about your genetic predisposition. So we all have a, a wiring in our genetics and in our nervous system for how sensitive we are. Some people are very sensitive. So we would use the term highly sensitive. Uh, Dr. Becky's been trying to rebrand this um, in specific to children. She's calling them the deeply feeling kids. Uh, some of the research uses a couple of terms, overexcitability, which is interesting, um, and high emotion contagion, right? So contagion, like you would catch a virus, like you catch emotions. Um, how sensitive your nervous system is versus do you struggle on the other end of the system where you don't really feel the feelings of others easily? So you don't feel your own feelings easily. You have, have a very low sense of interoception or um, of reception of other people's emotions. So what how are you in particular wired in your nervous system, both through trauma and temperament? And how is that a part of what's going to happen in your encounter with somebody else? Co-dysregulation is not a term I made it up, but we talk about co-regulation a lot. And I want to explain to you one of the reasons why it can be super challenging to stay calm when someone you love is upset, which is that we have these neurons in front of our brain and they're called mirror neurons. And they're incredibly helpful for our learning process. So as a species, when you are developing, your brain is capable of encountering um, the visual of someone else feeling something or doing something and then replicating what it would feel like to be going through that same experience in these neurons inside your mind. My best example of this is let's say you're watching, you know, a dirt bike competition and you're seeing these, you know, incredibly talented athletes flip their bikes up in the air and go down. And then all of a sudden, sudden one of them just eats shite, right? And you watch that kind of like road dirt burned all the way up their arm and you feel in your own body chills in the exact same spot where that person has been injured or fallen. Those are mirror neurons. So you can imagine if I'm sitting in front of my child and my child is going, <laughs> right? My mirror neurons are starting to do that same thing. And God bless it. It's what helps us have empathy, but it is also what can easily lead us to tipping over from calmness and empathy into co-dysregulation, where we're essentially joining the person who's upset in their dysregulation. And I put here that we tend to, when that happens, move either into enmeshment or avoidance. So if we're in the presence of someone and they're dysregulated and our mirror neurons are firing off and we have not managed our response or had a mental process to separate ourselves from that person in a healthy identity way, meaning this person is feeling feelings, they are not my feelings, even though I feel them, then we might either go into enmeshment where we are fully in it with them and we can no longer help co-regulate because we're co-dysregulating and we're trying to rescue them or we're responding with a crisis or an intensity or we go to avoidance which is that this feels awful i don't like it so i'm gonna shut down and my body kind of goes like this and we get blank face and then that person tends to either join us in shutting down or amp up even more because they're trying to get their emotions to us in a way where we can help them digest or or regulate so the goal is to be separate and connected. This is what co-regulation is, that you are communicating to somebody that you're catching their upset. So I think of it as like, I'm catching it, I'm holding it in my hands, right? but I'm not, I'm not ingesting it. Like I'm not going, 
and swallowing it and taking on everything they're feeling. It's like, this is still your feeling. I'm going to hold it with you. And you need to know that I'm holding it with you because if you don't feel felt, there's no way that you can trust me to regulate with you, right? And then as we're holding that, we're keeping our own system calm, right? This is really hard. I'm so sorry this is happening to you. And we're helping them to regulate simply by catching the mirror neurons of our calmness. So this is a bit of a jujitsu move because I have to be able to catch what you feel, not take it on, focus on calming my body while continuing to communicate. I feel what you're feeling. So I'm going to do a little bit of acting for you all in a minute to show you what that looks like. And I have a metaphor for you as well. I want you to imagine that you as the person who is separate from this upset. So you're coming into the scene, maybe it's your partner, maybe it's your child, and they are upset and dysregulated about something. You are the container, okay? And so the metaphor is you're the pan. And the, the person that is upset is a cracked egg, right? So they were maybe intact before whatever happened to them, and now all of a sudden there's a cracked egg. And they are starting to ooze everywhere. And if you're anything like me and you regularly drop eggs in your kitchen, you understand how terrible it is to clean them up, right? It's like this big mess. So the goal is to sort of get underneath that, that egg and act as a safe space and container for that egg to land, okay? And we want the egg to get solidified. So the goal is not to get rid of all the feelings, but the goal is to keep the feelings and help this person feel intact again. So we're going to act sort of as this hooking mechanism, right? Helping all of these watery, nebulous, overwhelming emotions to become more solid, okay? In this metaphor, you want to make sure that the pan is greased. So for those of you that identify as highly sensitive, your job is to make sure that you are not swallowing the emotions right? That you're not taking it on, that you're not becoming the egg, you're not cracking yourself against, you know, the non-pan, that you are remaining solid and, and containing them in a way that they can feel your separateness and your connectedness. So they can tell you're not enmeshing and you're not internalizing. Here's a couple of strategies to use. One is notice the space between your body and theirs. So if you're starting to get sucked in and overwhelmed and it feels like you're losing yourself, literally just visually notice that physical separation between their body as an entity and your body as an entity. Um, come up with some kind of a calming phrase, like my job is to care, not to fix. The wave of emotion will come down and I can ride along with it until it does. I promise you, you don't have to do anything to make the emotion stop or go away. It will run its course. And sometimes an emotion is going to come up and go like this for a little while. And then it's going to start to come down and it's going to go back up again. It depends on how tired the person is, how overwhelmed, how traumatized. You know, do they have any form of cognitive struggle or how is their brain wired? What's their neurotype, et cetera. But you are not trying to make the emotion stop. You are trying to be the calm container while the emotion takes its course. Um, and then another thing would be use a sensory intervention for calming your own body, whether that's like, you know, some kind of a fidget toy or squishy ball or gum. Gum helps release GABA in our brains when you chew on gum. GABA is the neurochemical for calm. Um, my husband has a little sniffer. <laughs> that sounds funny. Um, a little scent, cute little pocket scent thing. I don't even know what to call it, but he takes it off and it's just a calming scent and he smells it. And he does this a lot, in particular with one of are highly sensitive children because when she goes ballistic, it is sensory dysregulating her. Literally, we call it the pterodactyl. I've never heard a child yell louder 
than my sweet little one. Um, so find ways to ground your body so that you can remember that you are separate, you are calm, you are the container, and that you aren't taking this on. Now, if you're on the opposite side of the spectrum, where you tend to shut down or tend to shut out the emotions of others, you tend to put a lid on, right? Where it's like that, you see that ain't coming and it's like, <laughs> get me out of here, right? Which now the egg is all over you and all over them and all over the side of the pan, right? You want to focus your intention on the person's face. You want to tune into what it is they're feeling and imagine what it is when you feel that. So you're relaxing your body. You're imagining that your heart is opening up. You can imagine your heart to be like a set of doors and that like this is this person you love and they're meaning refuge in your heart. So you're going to let them into your heart so that they can feel contained. And imagine that the pain that they're feeling is this kind of poisonous mist that becomes neutralized when you enter the mist with them. So it's like as soon as you touch, not literally, but figuratively, where that connection enters and you've melted your body and you've opened your heart to them, you're not saying, do it, feel the feelings more, get more dysregulated. You're saying, I am with you, you are not alone, which will allow them to release the feeling. So there may be an increase in pain for a slight moment as you open up your arms to them. But then they will be able to take that pain back down to a more regulated or calm space because now they don't feel alone. Self-compassion over self-blame. So there's lots of reasons that we struggle to regulate. And I want you all to know, I think I've said this enough in my social media, but I want you to know very clearly, I am not a Zen Buddha all the time at all, by any means. I have three children <laughs> and I am highly sensitive. So my body is always kind of in this regulation dance because I feel all the feels. Um, so why are you struggling to regulate? Like if you recognize that this is a pattern and you're really not coping, step back and go into a self-compassion state. What's going on with me? Am I overstimulated? Have I had very little time alone or time to rest or time without pressure? Am I understimulated? Have I not had enough food, water, touch, support, nature, whatever? Have I not had enough sleep? Um, is there some kind of a past trauma that's getting activated that I need to enter a care space to help process and separate from this situation? Um, any present stressors that are going on in my life currently that are adding to my dysregulation? I was just thinking about for myself, you know, if I have a bunch of work stuff that I need to get done, um, seeing about deadlines with my book that I'm writing and trying to get something back to my editor and like my kids having to have like pretty emotional or tender nights at the exact moment that I'm trying to get something done, it's going to be a lot harder for me to co-regulate because I'm like, can you please stop doing that right now? I don't have time for this. <laughs> um, or judgment from an external or internal audience. So if we're at a grocery store and our child is melting down, it's going to be harder to regulate because we are very aware of the judgment around us. Or if there's an internal audience, perhaps we internalize very strongly from a community or a caregiver or, you know, a greater cultural message um, that it's our job to make sure that our kids are in control, right? Like that type of a message is going to make it very hard to regulate with our child because now we're panicked. Because if I don't get my kid to like shut the up and calm down and stop acting out, right? If I view emotions as behavior, oh, how am I going to get them to calm down? That's overwhelming. And now we're, we're going to have to step back. So if any of these resonate with you, that would just be something to kind of start journaling about and reflecting about. I had to do a lot of my own personal work around um, the, <clears throat> the instinct to want to be viewed as someone that has all the answers. And I think you can understand why I would feel that way. Um, 
and be able to go, no, that's my call. My calls for my kids in particular, but also my husband, also my friends, anyone I love, my siblings, to feel from me a deep sense of receptivity to their pain. I care. Like I want them to no matter what say, yeah, you know, she's a little bit of a weirdo at times, but man, she always showed up when things were tough and she sat in our pain with us and she cared about what we were going through. And did she do it wrong sometimes? Yeah. And sometimes it was super annoying. And sometimes, you know, she's, she gave advice too fast or she, you know, kept wanting me to talk about my feelings and I wasn't in the mood, but she always showed up to care. Um, and the last is using your village. So we talk about co-regulating as parents. You do need people that are co-regulating you as well. So whether that is a partner or friends or caregivers, grandparents, uncles, aunts, coworkers, it doesn't matter who. Who is in your life? Who can you call and say, I had a really, really awful day today. I'm exhausted. I was losing it with all my kids. I feel awful. I even told one of my kids to cut it out and I didn't say it in a kind way. It was kind of like yucky and who can be on that end other end of the call with you and say, I'm so sorry. Raising kids is so hard um, because if you don't have anyone co-regulating you, it's just going to make that buffer that you have for your kids smaller and smaller and smaller. So glad that you were here with us today, Nerd Herd members. We appreciate you so much and we hope that you are enjoying the access you have to the exclusive perks, resources, and community of like-hearted and like-minded parents who are as dedicated as you are to giving your children a secure attachment experience. Be sure to jump on and engage with the community at attachmentnerd.com where we share, learn, and grow together. Stay connected, love on, and we'll see you again in our next episode.